0: Welcome to A Great Day for Hockey Talk with your
1: host, Paul Steigerwald.
0: Paul Steigerwald standing by with his special guest. And let's go down the ladder right now and join him.
1: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to It's a Great Day for Hockey Talk. I'm Paul Steigerwald. As you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins are celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the 2009 Stanley Cup Championship. It was June 12, 2009, in Detroit, Game 7, clock ticking down. And who were on the ice as a defensive pair? Rob Scuderi and Hal Gill. What an interesting pair they were. And they were relied upon to shut teams down. And the Penguins were leading, and the clock was ticking ever so slowly as the Penguins were waiting to celebrate that Stanley Cup championship. And it's great to hear from both Hal Gill and Rob Scuderi as they talk about what it was like to be on the ice at that moment
0: they drop it and they got to the right point here's Rafalski shooting never got through loose puck now to the net save made rebound oh a big save by Furry. and it is that's it the pittsburgh penguins have won this hockey game the penguins have won the stanley cup and lord stanley scratched their names on your fabled cup Pittsburgh Penguins are Stanley Cup champions 2009.
1: There's a great picture of you guys right at the moment that the cup was won. You could see Scuds throwing his gloves off and he's coming towards Fleury to celebrate. You kind of went behind the goal line and raised your arms up as the as the game came to an end, almost like you were standing off alone just kind of taking it all in. But but could you talk about that last minute what that was like as you two were on the ice together and time was ticking down and it seemed like an hour.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time, Uh, and I will say, in the celebration after, I have to thank Chris Kunitz because that's a a a memory that you're going to have forever, and a picture that's going to be ever everywhere. And and you know, I kind of blacked out there, I think, and I just stood up with my hands in the air, and not with the team. And if it wasn't for Chris Kunitz coming over and and giving me a hug, I think I would have been you know, a pile of uh, around flurry and then just me in the corner. So I thank Cooney for that. But, um, yeah, that, that last face-off, I you know, I can't remember the personnel other than Lidstrom was on the backside. And I remember just saying, if I could get this shot to hit me in the face and knock me unconscious, that would be perfect. Um, and it went back to the point – I it did go off of me. It was kind of a flubbed shot from the point. It, it was Rafalski. Went off of me.
1: Yeah, he shot it, and then the rebound came out.
2: Yeah, it came out and went out to the backside, and um, you know, talk about horrifying. You know, I'm sitting there, like you know, slow motion watching Lidstrom come down and the bodyguard save from from flurry, and um, you know, I have that memory in in my head. To be honest with you, I haven't really looked at it as a as a you know i i've i've seen it but i kind of don't pay attention to it um the replay of it because i i just you know in my head it, it was so clear and uh and that's how i remember that play but uh what a save that was and uh, you know the story would have been very different if that that goal went in because they were coming hard and and uh it was awesome to get that nod from the coaching staff and to be able to get over and and Be on that final faceoff.
1: And you think about it, Hal, what a way to win the cup because in a lot of instances, it's already kind of preordained. You know, it's coming. I mean, it'd be different if it was like, you know, double overtime of game seven, but, uh, but a lot of times you you can kind of tell who's going to win. But you didn't really know you won until literally the final second, uh, of that, of that game. And that's, that's kind of cool. That was, so you must have just been overwhelmed with like, oh my God, we just won the cup, you know?
2: Yeah. No, it was, um, Oh, it's amazing. I think, you know, I I have that memory, but I'm sure there's other guys that can tell you. Uh, every memory is different. For me, uh, something kind of hit home with, uh, you know, Dan Bilesma came in, and he said, "Hey, you know, in the morning, he said, Game Seven. Uh, how many people played a Game Seven, and in, uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals? I, I don't. There might have even been one guy, you know, said it and he." And Biles said, yeah, I, I have. I played a Game 7. And we're like, oh, yeah. And he's like in my head over and over again <laughs> when I was a kid. And it was it was kind of a, 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 a real moment for me because it is. I mean, we were living the childhood dream. We were going to play a Game 7 Stanley Cup final. Um, so that was, uh, that was huge for me. And then, um, you know, we got a, a message from Mario Lemieux that – uh, Rating right in the morning as well that said, play, play without fear and I'll meet you at center ice. And um, I think that kind of set the tone for that game that we were going to go out and give everything we had and see where it ended up. And, uh, you know, luckily for for us, we had Flower to make the big save at the end and, and got us there. And we have Max Talbot. Don't forget the gamers coming up with two big goals.
1: Rob, well, the last time that you and Howe were on the ice together, was when you were celebrating the Stanley Cup in the final second of that game on June 12th in Detroit. And there's a famous picture of you coming back towards Marc-Andre Fleury, and it's clearly it's frozen in time, but you're, you can tell that you flicked your wrists to throw your gloves off so that you could hug Flower. And Hal Gill was standing off to the side of the net. He wasn't even in the scrum originally. And uh, you looked like a guy who knew how to celebrate. But if you could uh, – Take us maybe to that moment uh, uh, that is certainly frozen in time by pictures, but also, I'm sure, in your mind.
3: Yeah, of course. There's, you know, I remember there's six and a half seconds left. You know, where it, it's a, it's a one-goal lead. The whole series had been back and forth. Um, and it was just, you know, it's an intense moment. And you know that this is it. They had a, a great team with a lot of great, Individually talented players and played well as a team, and you just you you know you just want this six and a half seconds to end. And it was certainly the longest six and a half seconds I can remember. The puck going back and kicked around, it went to the point, and you know I just remember thinking, just take a penalty. Just who cares? Just Do whatever you got to do. I think at home I had Holmstrom with me, and I said, just do whatever it is you got to do. This guy doesn't tip a puck. He doesn't you know just cross check him. Do whatever. He's he cannot happen on this play. And I was hooking him or doing whatever I was doing. I remember the puck slipping out over to the worst guy on the ice. You want to see it, too, is Nicholas Lidstrom. And I just remember thinking, okay, I'm in front of the net. Maybe it'll hit me. You know, Flowers got to come up with a big one here. and uh, You know, he makes a save. And, you know, you're thinking, how long, how much time could possibly be left in this game? It felt like 10 minutes. And the, the horn goes off. And, uh, you know, I'm not an overly emotional guy. But you, you kind of let it out at that point. Um it's it's a long journey, and you know you kind of come to the end of it. And it's it's a something you've been thinking about, you know, since you were a kid, and you actually had the opportunity to do it. And uh, certainly, you can tell I was pretty excited. It's
1: pretty amazing, Rob, isn't it? That something that you were anticipating happening because you were leading in the game, you kind of knew it was coming, and yet you didn't know you won until that one second, like when that horn went off. And it, it was it was it was almost like. It was a sudden thing in its own way, and yet it wasn't sudden because you were leading the whole hockey game, so you had to have that feeling of anticipation and waiting for that clock. you know not just that last six seconds, but for that whole third period. What was that like?
3: Yeah well, I mean in the playoffs, the clock's everyone's enemy. I know it's a cliche, but you know you're winning and you're looking up at the clock. All right, you take quick look. You know you don't want to look, but you look, and if you're down. How much time do we have left? You don't want to look, but you take a look because you know that it, you know it all counts whether you're holding lead or behind. And it was just, um, you know, it, the third period. I think Sid was out, and you know, you're kind of trying to absorb that, but you don't think about it too much because you've got a job to do. You've got a lead. Um, you know, even though we were winning in the game, it certainly wasn't easy.
1: You were protecting a lead, which would be right up your alley. I mean, you and Hal. We're, we were on the ice in the final second. so that that's a compliment to you, but also I think a testament to the fact that you guys were trying to protect that one goal lead.
3: Yeah, of course, and and you're you don't want to just you know put up the shell and go into the uh, you know just run into your defensive zone and, and play defense. You want to try to hey maybe try to get one the right way. You know, don't cheat, but let's get another one. Let's get an insurance goal, but get it the right way. But it, it's just natural. I mean, every game you watch, you're up you're up big, or even if you're up a little, the other team. Here comes coming back. That's just the momentum swings that happened in a hockey game. And, you know, certainly we're trying to hold on to that lead, trying to do what we can. Um, I know, speaking of the backhand before, I remember I took a backhand, I put it, it was so close to the top of the glass, I can remember my heart being in my throat, thinking, God, I hope it doesn't go over, because I had just (laughs) slipped into our defensive zone for penalty. You know, it had it gone over. And I I fired it, and I said, oh, no. And, uh, you know, fortunately it hit very close to the top of the glass, but with the power play that year with the with the weapons they had was not something I, I wanted to do, especially when you put
1: your team in that situation. Now here are our conversations with Hal Gill and Rob Scuderi as they talk about their careers and their times in Pittsburgh. Well, Hal, it's uh, been 10 years since uh, you won the Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Time flies, doesn't it? And I uh, just wonder if uh, you ever pause to think, especially now that we know that that 10-year anniversary is here.
2: Yeah, you know what, I got a, uh, uh, we're on a group text, and we were talking about everyone's coming out for a game this year, Um, and uh, obviously my work schedule with the Preds isn't going to allow me to to do it, but um, I I sure would have loved to have been there. I think it's, uh, you kind of, I think when you walk together forever, so to speak, uh, you know, I have a lot of great memories of those guys, and it would be great to see them, but it was it was nice to get on a group chat and uh, bust each other's chops a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, busting chops is something you seem to be pretty good at. That was uh, kind of your role in the room, as I remember. It um, just seemed to come naturally for you, Hal.
2: But yeah, well, you know what? I, I was thinking about it, and you know, we had some guys that were characters in the locker room, and uh, and then we we traded for Billy Guerin, and Billy came in and <laughs> kind of – you know, it, it raised it up a level. And uh it was a it was a lot of fun. We had a we had a good group and um, you know, no one was safe. I think everyone was involved with the with the ribbing and that made it a lot of fun.
1: You know, I was talking to Sid about it yesterday and he said that's the closest team I've ever been on. You know, there was something about he said the dynamic of the young players and the older players. He just he just thought that it really really worked well in terms of the you know the the tight knit uh closeness of, of that team on and off the ice?
2: Yeah, I think, you know what, maybe maybe it was the adversity that we went through. I think we went through a, a lot. Um, you know, the year before, we we lost the cup, which was it's tough to take. And then, you know, we didn't have a great start to the 2008-2009 season. And, uh, you know, when you go through and you're battle-tested and you kind of, everyone's true colors come out, and then uh you find a way to turn it around and and get some wins i think that brings you closer and uh you know for sure it was one of the the closest teams and uh, you know i still see those guys to this day and it feels like they're my best friends every time i see them so yeah for sure it was a close team
1: Hal, i want to take you back to when you first came to pittsburgh because you actually came the previous year as you said you guys did not win the stanley cup in 08 but you played for michael teryan at that time and uh that was an interesting little stretch you were on that time, too, because as I recall, you were re- acquired the exact same day that the Penguins acquired Marion Hossa in that deal. So uh, you had a chance to be there for a, for a run that you know kind of started fresh when you came at the trading deadline. And could you just talk about what that was like, that first opportunity to kind of run all the way to the Stanley Cup final?
2: Yeah, I, that was awesome. I mean, talk about going from a, from a team – where you know it wasn't quite what I thought it was. You know, in Toronto, it was it was uh, a great team, and you know I thought we were going to do some good things, and it kind of fell apart. And you go to Pittsburgh, and it was uh, wow! It just we, we just broke out. It was like we couldn't lose. It was everything was amazing. You're, I'm seeing Sidney Crosby on a day to day basis, as uh, Jenny Malkin. You know, watching these guys play, it was it was pretty insane. Um, and then you know I was a, away from my family and I'm saying you know this is like a the, the best the best thing ever and then two weeks went by and I'm like you know I I, I kind of need my family here so I, I ended up having them travel down a lot more than they probably wanted to coming from Toronto because I because I missed them so much but uh, we had a good run it was a lot of fun just felt like uh, you go out there and conquer the world every night and um, it was also good coming in with that was uh Dupuy came too. So Duper and and Hoss came at the at the same time and uh we got the because it was Marion so we got the the red carpet treatment. It was kind of nice. <laughs> I think Duper and I always laugh like it. Yeah, it's nice to hang out with this guy. We get uh, limos everywhere and, <laughs>
3: and
2: everything was all very well taken care of. So it was a uh, it was a fun time.
1: Yeah, there's something about the Penguins organization, right? I mean, they, they kind of knew what they were doing. I mean, when Ray Shiro kind of took over as GM, I think a lot of those things were put in place. And, of course, the ownership, uh, wanting to make sure that the players were comfortable as, as best they could. So what was that like? I mean, did you feel as though the Penguins organization was doing all the right stuff at that time?
2: Well, I think when you're trying to build a, a team to win the Cup, you take everything into account. And, you know, the last thing – They wanted to do was was trade for a player, and and then you know try you know they wanted to make me feel comfortable. They wanted Juper and Hosa to feel feel comfortable right away. That that was the big thing is integrate these guys in the lineup, make them feel part of the team, and and get them going. So uh, yeah, I think they recognize the little things, which is which ends up being a big deal, which is why they've had so much success. And um, you know, Ray Shiro is. Well, you know, one of the more straightforward GMs I've dealt with, and he just kind of he, he gave it to you as it was and and, uh, and took care of you and expected you to take care of him back. And, and that was, uh, I think, the same thing with Mario Lemieux and, and the ownership group. It was uh, – it was very welcoming and uh, an awesome experience, right, right from the the second I got there.
1: What was it like, Hal, to be like you know eleven, twelve years older than Sidney Crosby? I mean, he talked about the older players and the younger players. There was a pretty big gap there. What was it like for you to to kind of be that guy? You know, the older guy that was sort of showing the way, especially at that time without Billy Garen to kind of join you in that regard. To, you know, when he came later, of course, the following season. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, um, I I remember one of my one of my first games was in Boston. And I remember I jumped on the bus and uh, I joked, I made, I made a joke about Crosby, said something. And I, you know, I probably just met him, talked to him like three or four times. And and I said a joke and, and he looked back at me like, what What did he just say? And <laughs> I remember Ryan Whitney turned around, he goes, oh, we, we don't make fun of Sid. Don't make fun of Sid. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? We don't make fun of Sid. And I was like, of course we make fun of Sid. We were going to make fun of everyone and uh so I think Sid turned around and was like, "Who is this guy, and why is he here?" <laughs> um but you know, I got to be good friends with him and and I think uh, everyone kind of uh learned that I was just full of crap every time I'd say something so um they I think they had fun with it but yeah it was it was uh it was a lot of fun that I, I that was uh you know trying to I, Sid was wrapped so tight and so focused. Trying to get him to relax was was difficult, and uh, I think as he's gotten older, he's gotten better at dealing with it and, and being able to to kind of break away from the game a little bit. But um, I tried to help him as as best I could. But it, it's uh, a lot of times I didn't want to bother him. I just wanted to keep him focused on what he was doing because it, I knew it meant me winning a cup if he did went out and did his job.
1: That's great stuff. Did, um... What are you thinking? Uh, you
2: know what, Stag- Saggy, i got a funny story.
1: Okay, I'm, I, I want to hear it.
2: <laughs> when, I left, uh, when I left, I, I went to uh, Montreal, and I wore the number 75. And uh, he sent me a text after one of my first games, and he goes, did I, did I just see you wearing number 75? And I said, yeah. And he goes, what happened to number two? And I'm like, well, I can't wear number two in Montreal. And he said, why did you choose 75? And I said, the same reason you're wearing 87. And then, I, you know, I, I didn't get a text straight back immediately, and then I all of a sudden I got this, wow, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> that was the text I got.
3: Wow,
1: Never really awesome. occurred to him all those years, now that you were 11 <laughs> years old, or whatever it was. Yeah. Nine years, I guess. Um, so l- let me ask you this. Uh, you were a quarterback in high school, and so you must have had some sort of innate leadership qualities. Uh, that usually is the case. I know from – my experience here in Pittsburgh, you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks that have come from western Pennsylvania. You know from being here in Pittsburgh a couple of years, you know what kind of people are here. Uh, There were a lot of guys that sort of had that swagger from around here, you know, like Dan Marino and Joe Montana, and I could go on and on, Joe Namath. And you were a quarterback in high school. Were you kind of that guy uh, on your team, sort of the leader and the guy with the swagger uh, who wanted to take charge out there?
2: Uh, I'd like to say that I was very humble and composed but uh, <laughs> I was I was a cocky cocky quarterback I, I you know I mean that's what one of the things that I really loved about it was uh, being in charge of everything being in charge you got 11 guys marching down the field and um, that was one thing I really enjoyed about it um, I don't I'm not sure how much um, you know I, I think there's certain levels of your game that you learn to to have swagger and certainly penalty killing was something that I don't know if I was if I was never uh, the guy in charge in playing football and the guy that everyone was looking to to make the play I don't know if I would have ever had that swagger I think I found that um in and basically translated it to a penalty kill or a, a you know a game ending situation when you're down a goal or when you're up a goal you need to to block a shot whatever it is um, I I think I really kind of honed my 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 leadership skills, so to speak, when I was playing football. So I, I do. It's not mutually exclusive. It was something that um, I learned a lot when I was playing football. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I I was a lot more cocky back in the high school days. <laughs> I I quickly learned a little bit more as I got to college.
1: 6'7 quarterback. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the guy's name who played for the Denver Broncos for a while back and then got traded, the big tall quarterback in the NFL. I'm drawing a blank right now, but uh, it sounds like you were kind of like him. Like, you could see the whole field pretty easily.
2: Yeah, wasn't there a McGuire? I think there was a McGuire out there. I, I kind of likened myself to, you know, Drew Bledsoe, that kind of style and big and rangy, but uh, you know, it was uh, it was a lot of fun playing football, and you know when i when I went to Providence College to play hockey, I remember I was benched for for a while, and I said, "Wow, I should have played football, but I guess it worked out in the end,
1: yeah, I wondered how you balanced football and hockey at that time
2: yeah well when you're younger it, nowadays everyone has to you have to pick a sport by the time you're seven, which is ridiculous
1: <laughs> I agree with uh, that
2: but but I, you know i I grew when I grew up, it was a lot of fun, you know guys would play every sport i had teammates that were playing lacrosse and you know baseball it was it was always something different that kind of drew their attention. I think it makes for a better athlete, but uh, that's that's for another day.
1: Hal um you know uh, what I remember you with the Boston Bruins, uh you were the one guy who really kind of got under Yarmir Yager's skin. You had a knack of knowing how to shut him down or at least limit the damage that he would do. What was it do you think that enabled you to have a, that kind of effect on Yarmir yager on a pretty regular basis, seemed like every time the Penguins played the Bruins.
2: Yeah, um, God, God, I loved playing against him. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I always embraced the challenge of trying to play against the best, and and he was a guy that would use his size and strength against uh, you know, for the most part, he was he was bigger and he had a bigger reach than anyone he played against. So I think just sheer size, I was I was able to match up against him well and. You know the game was a little different than uh, you know when the rules changed and you couldn't hack and hook and and hold in the corners. Uh, I think it it freed him up to be able to move a little bit more. But um, I always had that that size over him, and uh, I can't thank him enough because I was under I was getting a, uh, trying to negotiate a contract and uh, he came out and said that I was one of the toughest <laughs> D men he, he ever played against. So. I, you know, that was from his mouth directly to, to my dollars, so I appreciated that.
1: You know, uh, you were talking a minute ago about the swagger thing, you know, and like how you may have applied it to penalty killing. I, I thought of it, as you were saying that, I was thinking, maybe with that Yager thing, too, like like you you found these places in, in the game where you could be particularly effective and sort of kind of have that take-charge attitude. And I would I always liked it when defensemen, certain guys seem to respond to assignments. Like, this is your guy tonight, make sure you shut him down. Like, you know, the most extreme case of that would be like shadowing someone, but it almost seemed like that brought out the real competitive juices in you and your desire to sort of bring your game up to another level, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's a lot of players out there that are just naturally gifted and they go out and play the same game every night where they you know, just go score goals, you know. But, um, You know, there's there's certain players that you give a role to, and and you know they elevate their game. And I I think that's part of being a pro is recognizing when your moment is to step up, and part of being a competitor, I guess. Um, But yeah, I I love that. And towards the end of my career, I I was put out as a you know play against the third or the fourth line, and and it wasn't the same. And I said I said you know I'm not I'm not I'm not good against these guys, and it was it was definitely a, an adjustment period for me to try to play against someone that was just going to come in and hit me. I wanted someone that would try to make plays and and I could match up against. So, um, you know, playing against the best in the in the world really was was what I loved and you know, we'd be down 5 on 4 and I'd I'd try to rise bring my game up and certainly 5 on 3 that was when I really wanted to be out there and um uh, that was the fun part. It, there's nothing better than when you know you're on the bench and we take a penalty. And I and I I I always feel like I got this. I'm going to get this. This is what I'm going to give to the team. And um, you know, I I always love that challenge. So yeah, I think that's uh, fair to say. But that's with every player in the NHL. They you know, if you're a good player, you find that time. Whether it's we need a goal on the power play and someone goes out and gets that or or we need someone to shut down someone else's power play. It's, um, there's always a role for someone, and it's fun to go out and get it.
1: So when you came back from the lockout, uh, you, all of a sudden there's no red line. The game changed. You talked about the rule changes and hooking and hacking and holding and all that stuff, but what about the absolute, you know the absolute huge change in the game where they took the red line out and you could make stretch passes, and all of a sudden the ability to make a long pass was important, and – uh, you know, there was more skating maybe in the game, or you had to be cognizant of guys trying to stretch the ice and all those things. What was that like adjusting to the new game after the lockout?
2: Well, Saggy, every rule that was put in the NHL was to get rid of me. I found <laughs> you know, it was, it was, I feel like the, the board of governors would sit down and, like, all right, what's the next step to getting Gil out of the game? <laughs> take away the hooking, the holding, uh, the trapezoid you know like i i couldn't have the goalie get out and help me anymore um slipping it over the glass uh was the delay of game hmm. I, I, these are all my that's all my bread and, butter. <laughs> and the, the coming out. Um, That's good stuff. It, 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 it was uh it was constant um change and adjustments that I had to make, and I think there's a lot of guys doing the same thing, but um you know I, I when when the initial rule changes came in in 0-4, or that area um uh, i had to lose 20 pounds just to you know i couldn't just grab someone and manhandle them in the corner anymore i had to try and beat them back to the net so it was a it was a lot of challenges but i think in the end i i had to um you know i had to play smarter and that's what you know most most guys learned is if you're if you're uh, one step off, there's no recovering. There's no little hook that'll get you that step back. So, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of changes, but I will tell you, I, I would have loved to have gone back to the days where you could battle in the corner, and um, those were a lot of fun. Those, you know, the stinky gloves, the hooking and holding, the shoving, um, you know, a lot of times that would lead to a fight, but for the most part, it was it was just the battles that, uh, that I missed. But um, the game's changed, and... Now I'm watching it, and these guys are fast. It's The game is so much faster than it ever was, and and uh, and it's getting faster every day. So uh, I'm glad I can sit and watch it now.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I really admired the way you played, and I know it was an important aspect of the Penguins' success was to have somebody who could shut people down, and you and Rob Scuderi were a great pair in that regard. I, you the were on you were on the ice i want before I, we talk about this i want first of all i want to ask you who do you know who nicknamed you skillsy
2: i got that in uh when i was at providence college
1: really It was that long i thought it was i was thought it would have been a more recent nickname i didn't realize that it,
2: yeah no it was um it was uh, you know we had we had skate the, uh, the Bauer guy came to size us up for skates and he was at the same day that uh someone changed some one of my nice teammates Changed the nameplate on my locker from gill three to skill zero and uh <laughs> which 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 is really funny right thanks and uh <laughs> and so uh, he uh when i came in my skates got delivered uh you know a couple weeks later and they were they were trying to find out who skillo was and the the guy marked down my name as skillo so that became Skilly and uh I kind of I kind of wore it as a chip on my shoulders. To be honest with you, is you know when I made it to the NHL, um, we had the skills competition and they were laughing at me and I won the hardest shot with the Bruins, and uh, you know I said I got the skills to pay the bills uh, after that and so it kind of stuck, <laughs> stuck after that being a clown and messing around. Um, I kind of you know I, I carried that with me. So that's where skillsy came from.
1: So. Okay, you come to the Penguins, and Michael Terrian's the coach. And I just had this feeling that when you and Billy Guerin got a load of that guy, well, he was gone already by the time Billy Guerin came, but when you when you yeah. got a load of that guy, you are sort of, you know, I, we know he was a gruff guy. We know he had – Installed a defensive system for the Penguins and structure that was extremely important in the long run to the Penguins' success. I don't think there's any question about that. He laid the foundation from a defensive standpoint. But you, being this fun-loving guy who kind of created that feeling in the room, how did that sort of clash or mesh, whatever you want to, however you want to characterize it, with the style that Michelle Terry had as head coach? Uh,
2: it was it was uh, definitely a learning process. Right when I got there. I, I remember we had a practice in Ottawa and I asked Daryl Sidor to, to show me some of the stuff that they were doing because uh, you know I don't know I don't know how long this happened, but every play had to be D to D and up the wing. it had to be D to D and I, I kept saying, well I, uh, you know I, I'd curl it up the boards or do something different and I'd come back to the bench and and he'd be yelling D to D. Day And I, I was like, uh, I, I didn't. And so I was talking to Daryl Sador, like, what are we supposed to be doing? And then a- after practice, um, he came up to me, Terry came up to me and said, what are you talking to Daryl Sador about? And I said, oh, I was just asking him about how the thing is, the, you know, the D to D. And he said, he said, you don't talk to Daryl Sador. you talk to me, you talk to a coach. And I was like, uh, okay, you know, I, I, so it was it was a different atmosphere um, he what he did really well was intimidate the younger guys into into playing, you know, for their lives, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, Jordan Stahl saying to me, I'm afraid of that guy. We walked into the yeah, room one time. I,
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was blown away when he was yelling at Jordan Stahl. I'm like, Jordan Stahl is probably the best human I've ever met. Gives everything he's got every time he touches the ice uh, and, and is an awesome teammate, an awesome person. And you're yelling at him. I'm like, how does this make sense? But, um, but he got guys to. I mean, I've never been on a team that backchecked as hard as, as the Penguins did. I mean, those guys came back hard, which was, made it an easy job for me. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a different atmosphere. And then, you know, I kind of fell out of favor with, with uh, Terry and and got benched for for a while. And that was, I'll be honest with you, that was one of the toughest times of my life having a growing family and uh, being a healthy scratch and thinking this is probably the end of my career and um, you know that uh, contract year and everything that was it was tough uh, you know and then and then Bilesman came in that kind of changed everything around so uh, which made it all that much sweeter to, to win at the end
1: yeah and when you say change things around it changed the atmosphere. But also, it seemed to change the way you guys played. Obviously, gave you a, a stronger role on the team. But what was the what was the real difference in terms of not just the atmosphere, but the approach that you guys took to the game, to playing the game, that made you go on that eighteen three and four run down the stretch under Dan Bilesman? Yeah,
2: you know what I remember. Well, when that when that happened, I remember we were in Long Island, and you know, I was I don't want to say I was ballowing, but. I had a couple of beers in me and I was like, this stinks. I can't believe I'm in long Island. I'm not going to be able to play this. This is the word, you know, I'm, you know, like I said, I was debating what my whole life after this, um, and, and where I was going to end up. And, uh, we got the call that there'd been a change and we had a meeting that night. And, uh, I just remember him saying, are you ready to play some hockey? And I was like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I've been waiting. I'm dying to, so get, let me out there and, uh, for me, personally, it was completely uplifting. And then, um, you know, I think the team, when Bilesman did something, it was with a purpose, and we knew what the purpose was. It wasn't uh, because because the coach said. It was because this is how we're going to win. And so I think uh, that kind of trickled through everything. You know, he put in he put in a lot of stuff, and I think we were so focused on getting all this stuff down and learning how to play this game, we kind of – you know, we had fun with it and, and kind of took it to the next level. But it was, you know, we have to put in a forecheck because this is, you know, they they set up a high, uh, you know, a, a, a high set breakout. So we're going to play a check this way. And our set breakout is going to be this way because they four check this way. And, you know, we were kind of like, oh, we see it. We see it. And we kept going through it. And every game we built something new and it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I think in the end, uh, it was more of an aggressive go play and 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 make plays as opposed to um, you know uh, you know we had we had some structure but it was a changing structure it wasn't this is our you know one way or the highway it was it was kind of evolving and it, it was a lot of
1: fun and if you think about it like intertarian it was more of a structured trapping style if you will that one two two a kind of more like the Montreal Canadiens play and so on and then yeah. Dan Bowles comes in and now you're playing more on your toes. Which I think is interesting because the paradox is that you know when you were playing under the Tarion system, you're kind of insulated by the forwards. Now there's maybe even more of an emphasis on the importance of a of a guy like you and Rob Scuderi being the defensive conscience, if you will, or the more stout defensive pair that sort of mitigated against you know you allowing too many chances the other way because you've opened the game up a little bit. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I it was. I remember someone came up to me and after that and said wow you've you've really been you know aggressive you know is that hard hard for you to play that way and i was like no this is the way i've always wanted to play um you know with a different system it you know it brings out different things in every player but uh for me uh, you're exactly right i I found a way to to be aggressive to be i don't want to say offensive but um you know, I was on attack defensively a, a lot more than I was just backing in. And, and it was, like I said, the, the forwards would back check hard, but that was also because we weren't allowed to attack up against uh, the, the attackers. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was a different different system and, uh, you know, both had their merits, but I found, obviously, I found a lot more fun in the latter system.
1: Do you remember when you were put together with Rob Scuderi and, and, and how that worked? Did it click right away?
2: Yeah, you know what? I was I was thinking about it. You said you wanted to talk, and I said, yeah. What are we going to talk about? And I was thinking I played with Letang. I was supposed to play with Gonchar, and uh, when I when I got traded, and I, I think I played one game, and it just didn't it didn't click. And then Brooks, uh, I think Scud broke his hand. And missed some time, and Brooks had to jump in and play with Gonchar. And then they started to click, and I had some success with Latang. And then, uh, you know, I think they were trying to balance everything. And uh, eventually, I think they said, hey, let's just have a shutdown D pair. And that was Scuds and I. And we certainly weren't pretty, but um, I shouldn't say I wasn't pretty. Scuds, Scuds is a lot better. Uh, passer and a lot better playmaker than a lot of people gave him credit for. I think he got lumped in with me at some, at some point, but, uh, it was a lot of fun. Cause that was certainly a, a, a tandem, you know, we played as a tandem. It was nothing individual about us. Uh, we were talking every time we go to the bench and w- we'd talk about, Hey, let's do a, a reverse here, or, you know, constantly working on what we need to do and, you know, can I close my gap on that guy and I'll support underneath? We were always working on something, and uh, it was a lot of fun playing with him. And Of course, we had some success, and we knew our role. You talked about knowing your role. Well, we knew it. We Every night we we looked at who we were playing against, and we knew who we had.
1: And he was a left shot playing the right side, and I was always amazed at how he would surgically clear pucks off the glass and just miss throwing them over the glass by about an inch and a half every time. Uh, he had a real knack for for being able to get the puck out in those situations where he looked like he was in jail.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, he was. I mean, that's a skill in its own. But there was a lot of times, um, you know, I I could count on him. He'd make the the clean, easy pass. You know, and a lot of times that's it sounds kind of silly, but um, I'd go D to D, and I knew he would he would move it if the pass was there, he'd make it. But if it wasn't, like you said, he's good enough to put himself in a in a spot where he could get it off the glass and get it out. And I think that was our end game. You know, we were just saying, if, if we're not playing in the D zone, uh, you know, we did our job. Let's get it and get it out. And, you know, those the times have changed. I don't know if that wise if anymore in the NHL, but uh, that's the way we played.
1: Were you by any chance the guy, Hal, who had the radar up when Scott uh, Scuderi was being interviewed and said, I'm the... I'm just a piece, but they thought you said he was the piece. Who who was the we, person who heard that?
2: We jumped all over him. For that. Like, <laughs> as soon as he came in, we had puzzle pieces everywhere. He's the piece, and uh, he he's such a humble guy, and and would hate to have misspoken. And he he tried to defend himself so much. I said, "No, I'm just a piece. That's what I just said. I'm just a piece. I said, no, no, no." you said you were the piece the piece <laughs> that wins championships uh we had fun with it but um you know he's the guy that talk about going about your day doing your job i don't think i don't think he ever even talked to a trainer i, I, I never saw him in the training room he just went out and did his job um uh, talk about you know playing like a mule i guess is what yeah. you would say he was he was a A tough kid and and did everything he was asked and and never complained about anything and certainly was uh was humble all the way through but we had fun with that the piece
1: and i was going to ask you about max because he had a unique (laughs) quality about him did he not and you guys seemed to uh, really kind of rally around him as a guy who was a fun guy in the locker room who uh, provided a lot of entertainment for the team on nights when you weren't playing
2: (laughs) yeah uh, we had a a great group of characters. of Max leading the charge was a lot of those guys, but he was, uh, you know, he's a guy that was we we nicknamed him the gamer because when you needed a big game, you needed a big goal, he was the guy, and somehow he kept proving it. It was, like, uh, unbelievable. You know, we have we have all these players, Malkin, Crosby, uh, Gonchar, you know, all these superstars, and it always ended up being Talbot. You know, he had the – you know he had the big fight where i think he he even lost the fight but he shushed the crowd in philadelphia one year and like, just that oh, that
1: was that year that was the first round yeah
2: how how did that work how did that happen you know yeah he made, he made a difference um and and it was uh uncanny but um no no bigger difference than than going down and scoring two goals in game 7 was pretty awesome but uh he was a huge part of the team and and what he brought into the locker room, and you know him and you know there's the, the French coalition, the French guys that would all jump around, and we found them to be entertaining. Flower and uh, Duper and and Max, it was it was a good group, but um, you know Max was was a character, and uh, yeah, I can't thank him enough for scoring two huge goals.
1: Who was the guy that like sort of you guys would really give it to him? Maybe it was Sour or somebody who was who needed to be sort of like, come on, you know, like, get with it here. Like, was there anybody like that on the team that just kind of what didn't sort of fit in with the the, the personalities of everybody?
2: Um, no, I think everyone, even if they were different, we you know, we could kind of bust their, their chops and, and have fun with it. I think mm-hmm. that was kind of the fun part. Um, you know, there, of course, Matt Cook, I'll still give grief to this day, <laughs> um, you know, he, he was a you know, he was a guy that was always under everyone's skin and I'm not talking about the other team. He was, he was under, no, I, I kid, I kid about Cookie. He was a guy that he went out and did, um, some, some great things for, for the team, but we were constantly giving him grief and,
1: uh, what about TK? Did you give TK much grief?
2: Of course, of course. Uh, you know, TK was, you know i i mean he's still a character i still every time i see him i giggle i don't i don't know what it is about the guy but uh we had some fun and and uh yeah you know, the list of characters instead of Tanko was, was amazing just like a different guy all the way through and and we we knew he was different and uh is a, a great friend but you know if i wasn't playing on that team i don't know if We'd ever be friends forever. I still see him, and we we have a good time. And uh, you know, the list goes on for different characters, but uh, we all came together, and, and that was what the fun part was.
1: Did Flower ever play any pranks on you?
2: Const- uh, constantly. You know how many you know how many uh, shoe checks I've had because of Flower. Uh, you know, tipping the the leaners on the on the uh, hotel. Uh, doors everything constantly something with flower he's uh he's awesome um, it's still fun watching him play and the the way he loves the game and i you know i remember practice my when my first practice i was blown away with how hard crosby would would go in practice and i was like this this can't you can't sustain this and he did every practice every play was was huge for him and Flower was right behind him, uh, you know, diving all over the place. For pucks at the end of practice, you're like, how does he do it? But uh, the love he had for the game and love for being around the, the locker room and, and joking with the guys, you know, obviously he still got it. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But he's one of the, the guys that in the game, Flower, that uh, just made going to the rink all that much more fun.
1: You know, uh, I remember the celebration – Uh, I'm going to start with we got back to Mario's house, and it was it was a cold night, June 12th. It was not a warm summer night. It was a very chilly night, as I remember at Mario's house when we got back in the middle of the morning. Uh, Uh, I
2: couldn't feel anything, so
1: I know, and I I know you couldn't. I know you couldn't (laughs) because well, you were in your underwear and you were standing in Mario's fountain. He had this little fountain in the near the front door of his house. Do you remember that? (laughs) Well.
2: Someone said, "Hey, we're going to go back. We're going to hang out by the pool." And I, I thought, Mario, you should step up your game. This pool is way too shallow. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> well, every pool yeah. shallow for you, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it was. Uh, well, among one of the stupid things that I was that I did after celebrating, it was, um,
1: you know, that
2: was. Uh, first of all, let's just say like, we we. I don't know what time we got there, but. You know, we're partying in Detroit. We all get on the plane, and all our families and everything, and we go back. And there's and there's buses that are bringing us to to a, a catered party at three or four in the morning, whatever it was. Um, probably one of the best nights of my life, just you know, watching the sunrise and hanging out in, in Mario's pool. And uh, you know, I was swimming, so it, 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 I think it was warmer than that day. He wasn't. Was it that cold?
1: It was pretty chilly. I, I got to tell you, it was.
2: What do, I, what do I... Well, it's Mario. He probably had a heated pool
1: anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Uh,
2: that's probably why I was in the pool. But, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, to to, to, to do it all like that and to be able to hang out with Mario and, and celebrate that way. And what made it awesome was, you know, Mario's a real composed guy, but you could see the the joy in his face. Like... I don't think there's anyone that loves winning more than him. I mean, uh, he, he was right in it with the guys, and just the sheer joy written all over his face was awesome.
1: And then I remember the celebration down at uh, Mario's uh, Southside Saloon. I ended up down there. <laughs> I wasn't with you guys, but I ended up on the street down there, and I look up and I see all you guys hanging out the window from upstairs and having a great old time.
2: Yeah, you know what, Pittsburgh is a great city for that. I mean, that that street and hanging out at Mario's, that was a place, you know, after every round, um, you, know, you we'd win and we'd just go there and kind of celebrate a little bit. Um, it, it was uh, a place that, you know, how fitting that we'd have a, a party there at the end. And, um, you know, that was an awesome feeling. Looking out on the street and that whole street was covered with people, screaming and yelling and each guy would stick their head out the window and and the place would go nuts and we had, we had a good party and um uh, you know it was uh you know it's it's something that I, I for me personally I just wanted to hold on <laughs> I wanted to hold on to that celebration as long as I could I remember you know I I woke up one morning and my wife looked over and she said so is uh is it over now it, and I said, "Yeah, probably." She goes, "Yeah, it might be time." And I said, "Yeah, it's, it, you know, I don't know how many days later it was, but she said it might be. My celebration might be over." And
1: come home I now, said, yeah. Hal.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was. It, it was time. It was time to. It was time to grow up and stop acting like a child every day. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good ride.
1: Was it ever? Um, and I guess I, I'll end with this: the parade. You know, the parade was was incredible.
2: Yeah, I mean, going going through and i i remember after the parade uh, it was actually scuds that said uh, he goes what are you doing after the parade and and a lot of guys were like i you know i'm gonna go home and rest up and we'll go out later and i was like i i don't want to leave and so i think we went down and sat down over by the the stadium we sat down at one of those places and and just sat at the bar hanging out and it was kind of like a A a downtime if you will from party to party it was we just sat there and and had a few drinks and talked to some people it was it was uh, a really cool moment and uh you know because a lot of times you don't get a chance to sit down and take it all in you're you're partying and and yelling and screaming at the parade and all those people showed up and um it was uh very very appreciative you know like i i i loved seeing all those people in the parade but after to sit down and take it all in was was a really cool moment so um i I still thank pittsburgh for sharing that with me and and all those guys for for making me a part of that it was it was awesome
1: well i wish you could be here for the uh reunion i'm i'm really happy that i'm really glad how that you took the time though to uh to talk to us for so long on our podcast and um we're going to also talk to rob scuderi and get his side of things but uh Thank you so, so very much, and uh, boy, thanks for all the thrills you gave us back in 2009. We really appreciate it.
2: No, thank you. I, I appreciate being there. It was
1: a lot of fun. All right, that's Hal Gill. Skillzy. thanks a lot and uh, all the best to you. You choose.
0: Four years talking about the real world or four years immersed in it. After a hands-on, career-focused education, Point Park graduates enter the workforce prepared to succeed. Professionally designed, that's the point. Point Park University, downtown Pittsburgh, PointPark.
1: Let me start first of all by saying, are you excited about the fact that the Penguins are welcoming back uh, the 2009 Cup champs on January 6th?
3: Absolutely. I think it's um, it's always fun to to see some old faces and, and relive some old times, especially if uh, you know such a, a fun memory for me, and I'm sure for my teammates. And it's also nice that the um, that the organization kind of reaches out to have guys back. I know it's not the case maybe with with every single organization, and uh, I think it's something we all appreciate.
1: Well, your team was something else, and if you remember, you were part of a growing team of young players uh, who paid their dues in Wilkes-Barre. You played over 250 games there. So you really uh, cut your teeth in the minors and finally got that opportunity as the team was sort of coming together with great young players. What was that like, Rob, to be a part of that growing sort of Group of guys that were like a family and ultimately won the cup.
3: It, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, there's there's certainly different takes to it. There are you know there are some guys that are more ready for the NHL game at an earlier age, and that's nothing against them. They're just they're ready for it. Um, I took I needed some time. I definitely needed the minor leagues, and it, it was an interesting kind of case because myself, guys like Ryan Whitney, Mark Andre Fleury. Um, you know, a lot of these guys we we played in Wilkesbury together. Colby Armstrong, I know he wasn't there for the Cup team, but you know we had a group of guys, maybe five or six guys, that worked our way up from Wilkesbury, and then you combine that with the with the newer guys. When you you know, of course, you have like Sid and Malkin, and those guys that were, of course, ready to play right away, uh, made for an interesting dynamic. But like you said, we were all growing together in the NHL, and that's what it was all about. And We certainly had some growing pains. And, uh, you know, that made the success uh, taste that that much sweeter.
1: You know, when you played such a a gritty game, you were like a warrior. I I don't remember uh, a guy really in recent memory with the Penguins who, you know, could play with annoying injuries and and sort of just kind of overcome it without it seeming to bother the way you played. Uh, Was that something that you sort of acquired through time? When you talk about not being ready, I mean, did you have to kind of learn – to be that guy, that gritty guy who could just go out there and play no matter what.
3: I, I didn't have to. I didn't have to learn how to be that. I think I've had that for a long time. Uh, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I still think I have the the uh, all time games played record at, at school. Um, you know, and it, it's a long season. You know, you, you're playing every day for six months. Stuff's going to happen, and you're, you're lucky if the big stuff doesn't happen to you that you're just able to play. But I think that that grittiness always just came from a love of the game. You know, I I love to play, and you want to be out there all the time. And I I would attribute most of it to that. Um, And the other part is luck. You know, you you can. You know, there's some things that you cannot control. If you're going to block a shot and break a leg, there's you know you did your job, but just that's what happened to uh, to be the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I was fortunate in that regard with some with some luck on that side also. That you're not really sustaining a big injury. But I think for the most part, you just. You either have that or you don't. You, know, you want to grind. You want to play. And another thing is, um, you know, it took me a while to get to the NHL. It was always a goal, but it took me a while to get there. And once you get there, even when I got to the American League and every time I moved up a level, you don't want to give that up for anybody. And uh, even though you're teammates and there's a camaraderie, there's also a competition. And I felt that that uh, it was something that always um, wasn't necessarily a chip on my shoulder. It was just more of an internal drive.
1: I remember Ray Shiro commenting once um, off the cuff, kind of saying that he was so impressed with the way you played and the way you skated almost as if he was surprised, if you know what I mean, like I think, I think he came along. you were already part of the organization, and I think it took a while for him to sort of appreciate what you could bring, and you know and that's natural. I mean he wouldn't know he wasn't here every day and watching you and but, but I think you grew on him, if you know what I mean.
3: yeah, well I, I think that there are under the radar guys. And then I'm under those guys <laughs> um, under, under the radar guys. And I, I don't really, I never took offense to anyone not noticing me. I think I was uh, a junior in college one time and we had some skate with the Eagles. Cause I went to Boston college, um, kind of a charity event, like get to see some kids and stuff like that. And one of the dads came up and said, Hey, uh, you know, really enjoying your season. I think you really play solid defensively. And I said, thank you. And he said, that's just really impressive for a freshman. And I mean, I'd have already been there for two years. You know, and so he, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, the things I do I realize are, are mostly unnoticed, but they still need to be done. And I've never t- taken offense to that. I just think that you need to see it for a while. And I think for Ray, I would imagine that you're coming in from another place. You just don't know. But the longer I think people watch me, I think the more they would appreciate the smaller things that I did. Um, and that's, I think that's just been my case my most of my career.
1: Well, one thing you did, and it still stands out to me today because the Penguins are somewhat challenged on the right side right now with Justin Schultz out of their lineup. So they only really have Chris Letang and Chad Ruedel, who's more of a seventh defenseman. You played on that right side a lot, and I remember you had this ability to surgically get the puck out of your own zone backhanding it up off the glass, like within like an inch of the top of the glass, and you you just were really good at making sure that you made that play. And it's not it looked like a, a difficult play to make. And I think it it's one of those things that sometimes you're forced to do just because you're on your offside.
3: Yeah, um, you know, as I was growing up, we had we always had more lefties than righties. So it was a position I had to play in high school. I also had to play it in college. And, you know, just like everything else, it has certain advantages and disadvantages when you're playing your offside. The advantage is maybe taking a shot in the offensive zone, which I know wasn't my forte, but it was an advantage. And the occasional dis- uh, disadvantage is that you're going to be on your backhand. Um, but I think as I've got more comfortable with it and as you work on it, as a skill, I wasn't making a whole lot of passes. Just like most of the NHL, you're not trying to pass on your backhand. But you can at least acquire the necessary skills to to flip it out or get it high and to get out of trouble. Because, you know, when you're on your backhand a lot in the NHL, you know, the other teams see it. It's an opportunity. They know that you're at a slight disadvantage, you know, unless you're a special elite player that can make plays at any time, at any point. And I think at least I was able to put myself out of trouble and play within within my means, and and still be an effective defenseman.
1: You know, it's funny, Rob, how the game uh, evolves because uh, you, you came along and the game was being played under Michael Terry in a very structured way, kind of a defensive posture that the Penguins were in, and I think it was a structure that really never really went away even for that full time that Dan Bilesma was coaching. It may have eroded over a couple of years, but when he first took over the team that year, you guys had the structure, and it was almost like you built it from that like when Dan Bilesma came in then you took it to the next level where you kind of then i don't I don't know how to other describe it it was almost like a the big bang you know all of a sudden you went from a structured uh posture to being able to play more on your toes in a more offensive game but you never lost that that foundation
3: yeah i i i think that's totally the case you know a, a lot of i think a lot of too much detail gets thrown into systems i think that Really, when you talk about an aggressive system to a more defensive system, you, you might be talking about a guy in position from 10 to 15 feet. Yes, it is different, but it's not you know, another language. Yes. Um, I thought when, when you know, Mike had his style, you know, very hard-nosed, very structured, very here, 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 and you know what? That was good for us. It was great for, um, I think, setting up a framework to play within, especially as a team where you need to be on the same page. I think when Dan came in he didn't necessarily lose that. There I just think there were opportunities where he thought we could be a little more aggressive. Not that Mike didn't want us to be, it's just I think maybe the guys felt, you know, they had a little more of a green light uh, at certain times. And I think it was just that little bit of aggressiveness that allowed us to keep the good the good things about structure but also maybe um, take slight more advantage of uh, of a chance when it occurred.
1: Yeah, and all of a sudden you went on this incredible run. You know, you went 18-4-3 down the stretch and it was amazing. It was like a metamorphosis. Now, Sergey Gonchar had been injured. He came back and I'm sure that helped, but there was a change uh, that, that really took place, a sea change really in the way you guys played and it also ultimately led to you winning a championship.
3: Yeah, you know, so much of Really, every year you see someone win the Stanley Cup, chances are they're relatively healthy and they got hot at the right time. And I think that was no different with, the, with our case in '09, in We got healthy at the right time and we got hot. You know, and you find your groove. And I, that's, it's something that is not 100% necessary, but I would certainly rather go into the postseason on a little bit of a roll than a little bit of a slide. And I thought that was the case with us, as it is with most uh, cup champions.
1: I just want to preface it by I remember in 08, the Red Wings uh, really protected their net. I remember, like, sometimes you'd look up, they have that overhead, and there'd be, like, red, you know, five red jerseys in there, or six, including the goalie, you know, and they, like, pack inside their goal to do anything, like they were holding a fort, you know. And it seemed like the Penguins kind of borrowed that tra- trait from them the next year. And you guys became that team that was really protective of the net. And, of course, you made that great save in, in Game Six. Could you talk about that save and just that mentality that you noticed on the team of protecting that net and not allowing the Red Wings to score?
3: Yeah, I think you know, just like a lot of good teams, when the play starts collapsing, and um, that's the nature of the game. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to give. You're going to give up chances. It's it's about kind of collapsing and, and getting to the net and trying to help out. You know, sometimes you got to you know um, fold in and just get back to the net, try to have, try to help out. Hopefully the puck doesn't go in, and then you figure it out from there. And hopefully you can play regular defense instead of just panic in front of the net. <laughs> but let's face it, at times, at times it happens. Um, you know, when I think about the play in game six, I was, you know, I'm in front of the net on the net front D, and, uh, you know, I don't have the clip in front of me, but I know that it was, you know, myself and maybe Holmstrom kind of going at it, and I whacked it a couple of times with my stick. And then he tried to shoot it again and I hit it with my stick again and then I, I just I couldn't reach to where the puck had gone. You know, it just it just kinda kept staying in that area. Just one of those uh, you know, just the worst thing possible for a net front D, that just keeps staying in the area. And I knew I couldn't reach anymore. And Mark was on his way back to net. I, I still always feel he probably would have had it anyway. Um, but I was certainly you know, you try to put yourself in the right position to to help out your team and um, that's why you do it. So uh, when the situation came about, I was able to, you know, stick my leg down and I can remember specifically thinking, don't put your hand on the puck, don't put your hand on the puck. You know, just kind of lock your leg down and and uh, wait for Mark to get back into position to cover up the puck. And you know, fortunately, things worked out in our favor. It's
0: cut off by the wings, and they're going to have a chance here from their own zone. rafalski with a half a minute to go. Skates up. His pass to Datsouk. Hits the Penguin Stripe. Into the zone he goes. Down the right side. suit pulls up. Looking. It's off to the right side. And Hosa's got it. He fires it on the net. Buck away. Picked up in front. Loose buck. Franzen digging away for it. Jam up. And the whistle should sound there as they've got nine bodies on the net. And finally the referee blows a whistle. Goodness gracious. And I think that Rob Scuderi just saved the Penguin season right there, Mikey. Possibly. As he was down on both knees, Flurry was out of the cage and the mad scramble in front. And Scuderi kept that puck out of the goal. What a play by Scuds. Well, the Red Wings did everything but by the net. as yeah. They were in tight. I get to watch on the replay. It was a left kick save by Rob Scuderi. Was, he was down in like a goaltender's position with Fronson. All alone by himself on the top of the paint.
1: It's a legendary play. I mean, people still talk about it. You can find it on YouTube. Do people mention it to you often?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, you know, even years after, people will ask me to sign a picture, and it's and it's a picture of, of that moment. And you know, certainly, you know, as a player, especially as a guy who didn't make a lot of standout plays or stick out offensively, it's it's nice to be recognized. You always want your effort to be recognized, and sometimes. You know those plays don't happen for everyone, even though their effort and their contribution to the team is just as good. but it's sometimes it's kind of fun uh, you know to see those moments um, stick in the minds of the fans because as as role guy as a, as a you know foot soldier type of player, um, it's fun to see that you know, you get some you get some press every once in a while and but in the end, you're always just glad that you did it for your team. It's not about sticking out as an individual. Uh, there are plays that stick out in people's minds. And, uh, you know, it's fun that that's one of them. But in the end, it was all about trying to make a play for my team and give us a chance to play for Game 7 at the time.
1: Do you think there's still a place for guys like you in the game or the way it's evolved into this, uh, you know, smaller mobile defense, the emphasis being on, um, on you know, guys getting back to pucks and so on?
3: I think so. I'm, I've uh, I watched games with my sons now. And although I just think the role changes as you move on. So maybe maybe the guy that plays my style is a little bit more free to make some plays, you know. But, you know, and then 10 years before me, maybe it was slightly different. You know, as the game moves on and evolves into different styles, I think there's still a place for, uh, I guess what they called me was a steady Eddie. You mm-hmm. know, someone that you can count on night in and night out. You don't want your whole decor full of those guys. You can't. But to have two or two guys like that, that you know you can depend on for, you know, good minutes, quality minutes, and you know things that you can depend on and not have to worry about. For most nights, I definitely believe there's still a case for it.
1: Do you remember when you became the piece?
3: <laughs> I I do, and uh, yes, I. It was funny. We were the trainers used to put up the uh, you know some of the newspaper articles uh, in front of the urinals at the old melon, and. And I happened to be doing my business one time, and I'm sitting there, and I happen to be looking at it eye to eye. I mean, it couldn't have been more in front of me. And I said, "Oh no, I got to get this down." <laughs> so I, I I took that I took that little article down, and I know, of course, it's not the only version of the print they had. It's out there everywhere. <laughs> um, but I, like a lot of guys, didn't read a lot about the team, or at least search it out. Whether it's good or bad, uh, it just wasn't my thing. And I thought, well, maybe maybe I dodged a bullet here, but. Uh, it was, it was too late. It came out shortly after, and I said, well, I did my part. It just uh, – I couldn't, I couldn't contain it. But it was, it was a fun thing. It was – I think everyone realized it was, was, it was coming from me. It was a, it was a harmless, uh, you know, kind of slip of the tongue. And it was uh, – you know, we had fun with it more than anything because I think the guys understand that.
1: So you meant I, Six, I, I was a piece of the job. puzzle. I'm, a, I'm just a piece of this puzzle here. And, 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 how, yeah. and how did it come out, or why was it written?
3: Yeah, no. I just I, I was given an interview, and I just instead of saying I'm just a piece of the puzzle, I said I'm the piece of the puzzle. <laughs> so uh, you know, clearly, clearly elevated my standing within the team uh, in one simple quote. But like I said, it was fun because I think all the guys realized who it was coming from. Maybe if it had come from certain personalities in the game, it would be taken or misconstrued in a different direction. But I think since the guys know me and what I was about, it was everyone could just kind of have fun with it.
1: Let me guess. How Gill really seized upon that?
3: There was, uh, I think, how, I think, how called, after I was the piece, I think, I think we called our pair bits and pieces (laughs) (laughs) because we didn't have, uh, you know, no one's surprised that we didn't have the most skill. You know, we could move the puck. We're NHL defensemen. You know, you move the puck the right way. But usually when you have that dynamic of, you know, a vine offensive guy with a defensive guy or a skilled guy with a steady guy. You know, Hal and I were two kind of steady eddies, and a lot of times you think it wouldn't work, but it just did. You can't control who you have chemistry with, but yeah, Hal certainly, Hal certainly doesn't let that go.
1: Sidney Crosby said that that group of players was the closest group of players he's ever played with. Did you feel that way too?
3: I I did. It's um, you know it's tough. I was on you know I know Sid has since added to his championship resume, and I'm sure he's going to have great memories with those guys. You know, after that, I, I totally flipped the switch and went to a completely new organization. Didn't know anyone, and uh, you know had a winning experience there in Los Angeles. And you know, I know it's I guess the easy way out, but they're special in their own way. I thought what made the Pittsburgh one special for me personally was I had grown with those guys over a long period of time. You know, we had played you know, some guys I played in the minors with. Some guys, you know, you lose along the way, but you appreciate the journey. That's always, you know, my, my favorite part of it. You have that, um, you know, the guys that you meet along the way, the free agents you pick up and how they become part of the fabric of the team. You know, all those things are special memories. And, uh, you know, certainly I'll appreciate them um, as well as I did in Los Angeles. But um, also in Pitt, I think what made it so, so special was the, the way the series went. It was up and down. We were down two games, tied, up three, you know. Uh, you know, down 3-2 two with two in Detroit. You know, and then, you know, it's it just, you know, the way the whole series went, the back-and-forth nature of each game, each period, um, only made it more exciting at the end. You know, whereas in Los Angeles, we had, I think, a five-goal lead. I think it was 5 nothing with 10 minutes to go in the third period. Not to say that any of us took it easy, but there's about a 99.9% chance you're going to win that game. You know, whereas in Pittsburgh, it literally went down to the last second of the last game of the series. And I think that just, you know, all that extra emotion just kind of let out a little uh, a little more um, when it was finally over.
1: You sat across the room from Flower, Max Talbot, Billy Guerin. I mean, you had like this view from your stall of all those characters. They were kind of, it was almost like they were on stage and you were watching. And you were a quiet leader who didn't say much well, what was it like just to view all the antics that were going on at that time with all those characters in the room?
3: No, it, it's fun. You know, even though I'm a, you know a quiet guy, you, you chip in with uh, my dry comments every once in a while. And, <laughs> well, you're I from New York. Scary. You got to
1: have a little bit of that in you.
3: Yeah, yeah. You, well, hopefully, you have to have some. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, the, you it, it's it's always fun coming into a locker room, even with a new locker room, and you start. You know, the personalities don't change too much. You have, uh, you know, um, just you know. There's just different personalities there, and it, it makes it fun. If everyone was the same, it, it wouldn't be as fun. There's some guys that are characters that, you know, maybe aren't uh, the brightest bulbs in the bunch, but they make life interesting. You know, it's funny <laughs> to hear their stories or, or what happened, or whatever uh, happened. You know, whatever happened you know, happen. day to day, they come in with different stuff. Or the trainers, everyone brings their own. Uh, you know, no pun intended. Everyone brings their own piece to yep. the puzzle, and that's what that's what makes it. Uh, fun. That's what makes it a a fun environment, and uh, you know the, the best job I ever had.
1: And you know, Rob, you, it's it's interesting that you use the term puzzle because I like to say that all the time that every single piece of that puzzle is just as important as another one. Some pieces are bigger than others, but if you take one piece out, you no longer have a complete puzzle. And that's the great thing about championship teams is that one guy might play a, a what you would think is be a small role. But his role in the grand scheme of things is just as important because if you took it out of the puzzle, it wouldn't be a complete puzzle and you wouldn't win.
3: Yeah, of, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, you have to, you know, when it comes down to that to, to that time of year, yes, you're completely right. There are guys that are going to play a bigger role. There. there are guys that, you know, your big players have to beat the other players' big players. And your role players have to be better than their role players. And there's always an unexpected contribution, you know, from someone that you weren't thinking. And um, you know all those all those things, all those swings, are what make it so interesting to watch, and why you know playoff hockey is so addicting to watch over the course of the time because it, it tells a little story. And I think that each year has its own story. They're somewhat similar in some ways and somewhat different. And uh, but the personalities and um, you know people in the room are are what make them interesting. But if if you took one away, it's just it's just not the same. Yep. And each year is different. You know, whether you've been on one winning team or ten, you know, each of them is always a little bit different because of the people that you're surrounded by.
1: How would you describe your relationship with Hal Gill? Hmm,
3: I would say, uh, <laughs> I would say, slightly inebriated. <laughs> 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 now, we did, Now, Hal and I, you know, always had, like I said before, when it comes to, when you talk about chemistry, you you know, it'd be easy for a defensive guy to mesh with an offensive guy because, they're, you know, opposites attract and they both bring something to the pair. I remember Hal and I talking several times, like, well, if they're going to put us together, You know, do they think this is really going to work? And I think the first time we played together was in the series against the Rangers the previous year. And it, it worked. You know, and you can't explain it. You just have chemistry with someone. You know where they're going to go. You know what they're going to do. Um, and it just, it just comes natural. You can have a system and you can plug pieces in and they'll do a pretty good job for the most part, but you can't fake that chemistry that comes naturally. And I thought that was something that Hal and I had, uh, on and off the ice. It was, you know, we always had a good time. Uh, always enjoyed and enjoyed this company. Um, you know, wives got along. It was, it was, uh, you know, a fun time. You know, your career doesn't last too long and you come to appreciate those memories and those times that you had in your life. And, uh, hopefully he feels the
1: same. I'm sure he does. He's a real character. I remember him being basically in his underwear standing in Mario's fountain uh, at Mario's house after the team won the cup. And uh, just from that point on, speaking of inebriated, I mean, he really enjoyed himself and all you guys did. What was that like? I mean, just we close this out, just maybe kind of think back to what it was like in in the city and the celebrations that you guys had, uh, you know, as a team and also as an organization.
3: No, it was – It's special. You know, when you start, you know, when I first think about it, I think about the horn going off. And I think um, maybe the most special time in my mind is the 10 to 15 minutes you have right after that horn goes off. That you're, I mean, the cup hasn't even come on the ice yet and you're just celebrating with your teammates. You know you've accomplished it and it's just right there. You know, there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets thrown into it you know, there, of course, there's certain obligations. You love that the fans are part of it and that they're excited. You love, you, you know, you're going to do some media and interviews, and and those people are excited too, and and all that's great. But that first ten, that first ten minutes was always, I think, the most special part for me is is just sharing it with your teammates and, um, you know, giving each other some hugs and and just celebrating the accomplishment together. I would say that's number one. And then when you talk about, you know, not not. Not uh, too far behind is the, is the celebration afterwards. And flying back on the plane and, you know, again, sharing some stories, having a few drinks, uh, sharing some more laughs. And uh, we went to Mario's house, and I actually had my brother's wedding the next day. So I, I enjoyed Mario's house that night, and I missed, the, I missed the first big night in the city and then came back. And in just the atmosphere, um, you know, Pittsburgh, I, I just I feel is, is, is a hockey town. I know that it, it, it feeds off the energy of the team. It always has. Even when we were bad, I thought we still had pretty good crowds and everyone came to see Sid. And uh, I just thought that coming that distance from a team that was almost moved, really, and uh, coming all the way back, winning a championship, and sharing that with the city and the organization, all the people that make it happen, um, was certainly uh, some special memories.
1: What are you doing now, Rob? Uh,
3: not much. I have played my last game almost, almost two years ago, and you know I'm trying to get back into the game. I took a job. I work with uh, a local team. I, I do my son's teams, of course, to help out, and I work with an, another local team of 18- to 20-year-olds that are trying to catch on in college. So they are overage kids. Most of them have graduated high school, and they're on the cusp of maybe a division three or possibly division one program. And they just need another year of, of seasoning before they can maybe get picked up and, and um, resume their lives in college. And it's, it's, I find it rewarding. You know, it's nice to talk to the guys. They're young. They're, they got a lot of energy. They're funny. um, And they're also hungry to learn. So uh, try to give them a point or two and, and help their, you know, help their development along so that, you know, they can eventually pick a college and, you know, play some college hockey and, you know, get an education and move on with their lives as, as older
1: men. Well, I can tell you this. There's got to be a place for you in the game because you. <laughs> this game still requires that you play really good, strong defense to win. Great teams play great defense, and you were one of those guys that played great defense on a great team. And, Rob, uh, can't say enough about what you brought to the Penguins and how much everybody appreciates that here in Pittsburgh. And can't wait to see you on January 6th. Uh, I know you're going to have a good time seeing all your old buddies.
3: No, it'll be fun. Thank you very much. And uh, as always, always appreciate all the support of the fans and uh, the people, the organization. Pittsburgh was a a top-notch organization. Um, And I'm I'm glad that they've had uh, continued and sustained success as well. And I'm looking forward to uh, early January.
1: It's going to be fun. Thanks a lot, Rob. So that does it for this edition of It's a Great Day for Hockey Talk. We hope you enjoyed our conversations with Skillsy and the Peace, or Bits and Pieces as they refer to them, Those two will walk forever as Stanley Cup champions and as a great defensive pair for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And hopefully they'll both be able to make it on January 6th when the Penguins host the Chicago Blackhawks at PPG Paints Arena and host the 2009 Stanley Cup champions, players and staff, whose names are on the Stanley Cup. We'll talk to you next time on It's a Great Day for Hockey Talk.